The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by Relola. The Relola app helps agents leverage their local expertise. Create a beautiful interactive map of everything you love about your community, from businesses to listings to local features. Share it on Facebook and your website. And it's free for all realtors in 2018. Learn more at relola.com. I think everyone knows that relationships are really important, but it kind of starts and stops there, right? And, you know, when you kind of think about how do I break it down, you know, who do I need to talk to? When do I need to talk to them? Um, what do I say? Um, those are really big problems and stumbling blocks. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 129 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for finding us in our little corner of the internet. I, I'm, I'm amazed at how many people are kind of listening. Uh, I think part of it is because we're able to really get some uh, amazing guests. And I have one of those today. So we're going to be talking to Svi Band, who is the CEO and, and founder or one of the co-founders of Contactually. Um, one of the CRMs out there that really understands the R in CRM, right? The, the relationships are everything uh, in, in their world. And I'm really excited to, to find out more about Svi and the company. Svi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. And yeah, listen, congrats on uh, doing 127 episodes before this. And I, I would say, you know, I, I do listen to a lot of uh, different podcasts out there. And I find you are always good at helping to build and nurture an authentic relationship with someone, even over like you know, a 45-minute podcast. So I'm not surprised that you have so many loyal listeners. Oh, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Um, I, I want to start off. I like to find out where people are from. And in somewhere in my research, it, it says that you're uh, born born or raised or a native of San Diego, which is my hometown. I was there for quite a while, 40 years. And uh, so I want to know a little bit about that. What, where did oh, you live? Oh, awesome. The whole bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I was actually, I was born in Boston, but then very quickly uh, moved to California. Um, so yeah, I lived for about 10 years in San Diego, uh, mainly in uh, U- University City, if you know where that is. Absolutely. Um, I know you hung out at UTC, so. Oh, way, way too much time. Yeah, and I, I went to school down the street at uh, University City High School. Um, I actually found out that one of my employees um, who, uh, who grew up in Ohio, but for some reason, his mom actually taught at Spreckles Elementary, like down the block from uh, from where I lived. So uh, funny thing. But yeah, no, I, uh, though, I is one of the things I didn't realize uh, how much I would miss being 10 minutes away from uh, La Jolla, La Jolla Cove uh, until I moved to the East Coast. And now I'm, you know, hours away from the nearest beach. Yeah. What's what's the time frame on this? What What, what years are we talking about that you're there? Uh, I was there from when I was about, uh, so I think probably like five to 15 or so. Okay. Gotcha. And, uh, Padre fan or, I mean, did you, did you kind of adopt the chargers of the Padres or, or, or are you now that you're a DC guy right, and, and, you know, I know you went to Maryland. Are you, who do you support on the sports side of things? 
Yeah, you know, it, it was really funny. You know, we, uh, um, I was not, you know, we were, I was raised very much in a non sports household. Um, that being said, I, uh, I still, you know, was a fan of the Chargers. And as you know, this is like in the 90s during like the junior Seau days. Um, seeing them go to the Super Bowl was really great. Um, obviously, now that they're the, they're the LA Chargers, you know, I've no interest in them. Um, you never really cared too much for the Redskins or like the Nationals or anything, but uh, I definitely um, am um, a big uh, UMD football fan. Um, so I went to school. I started at Maryland the year after they won the national championship. Um, you know, Maryland was notorious for throwing really good riots. You know, that was one. That's definitely one of the things we're proud of. Um, you know, obviously, like you know, we're you know, we go up and down over the years, but uh, I still remain uh, above all a Maryland sports fan. Yeah, we got to talk about that for a second. Let's first of all, you had to. I'm sure you had choices of colleges to attend, and you had probably already moved out of San Diego when you were making that decision. So, what what drove you to become a Terp? Yeah, absolutely. I, I will never, uh, I will never fully forgive my parents for uh, losing uh, UC residency. Uh, I could have, or I could have uh, counted as an in-state student for UC uh, up until like four months before I applied for college. But uh, you know, matter, I'm thankful for what I did. You know, Maryland. You know, I knew I wanted a big school. Um, it was far enough away from my parents where I knew I could be independent, but close enough that, you know, obviously I could visit them, you know, from month to month. Um, it had a really great uh, computer science and engineering department, uh, which I kind of already started to knew, know that's where I wanted to head. Um, is a great big state school. Um, fell in love with the campus. Um, so as I looked at the options of uh, schools I was able to get into, it was basically down between uh, UC Santa Barbara and uh, Maryland. And uh, I think I made the right choice going to Maryland. Uh, I got to look, I'm a big sports fan. I think you know that we, we're, we're both friends. We know Sean Carpenter. And, really? Really? I, I had no idea. I had no listening, idea to, right? yeah, listening to previous episodes. Yeah. yeah so um, come on the Maryland uniforms. First of all, it's not their fault that, that Maryland has the craziest flag ever created, but those unis really. Uh, yeah, listen, I mean, there's I, uh, as much as I love Maryland and the school and everything like that, I wouldn't say that from their sports program has uh, made the best decisions. You know, I still years later, I still have no idea. Like, there's still no logical reasoning why we switch from the ACC to the Big Ten. Right. Uh, like and that that further kind of, you know, uh, hurt my relationship with Maryland because now I don't even know or fully grasp you know who my uh who my enemies are i don't care if we're not the acc anymore i still hate duke um just because that's what marylanders are supposed to do but yeah then i i saw their like i think it was their helmets recently and i was like what on earth is that so right yeah it's 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 i it's a kind of laughing stock of the league but I, they embrace it and that's what they love and yeah especially because you know uh under armor you know under armor is so deeply interwoven in into you know the fabric of Maryland, you know Kevin Plank obviously was a was a terp on the football team. Uh, you you would think you know Under Armour is so great at uh, you know at design of their uniforms and uh, their apparel um, to see what they rolled out with. Uh, yeah, that's uh, let's just say I, I'm not buying that anytime soon. <laughs> gotcha. Let's let me ask you about a little bit more about your early life because you have such an uh, an engineering coding, you know that geek part of you. Uh, am I right to assume that even at a young age as a kid, you, that was part of your life? You were uh, heavily involved in that sort of thing, even in, say, junior high? 
Yeah, definitely. I I would say, you know, I uh, I think I fell in love with, and I've dug a lot into this recently. You know, I, I think early on in my life, I fell in love with this act of creation, um, of building things and creating things from scratch. You know, I was a kid that, you know, um, if there were Legos anywhere near me, you know, you know, that's where I'd be. Yeah. Um, and I think that became that and that um, amount of intuition, you know, the almost I remember, you know, when I was six or seven years old, my uh, my father brought home the first family computer and yeah, something clicked. It was like, all right, cool. This is this is just what I'm going to do. Um, and uh, that's been my passion ever since. You know, obviously, like I'm the kind of person, you know, my my mom still in her basement still has probably like five or 10 computers that I've uh, completely destroyed and taken apart, never really fully fixed. Uh, you know, and that became uh, from a love of building computers, um, moved into software development, moved into web applications. Uh, and that really kind of uh, what led to uh, me to at Maryland uh, do a degree in computer science and uh, economics as well. Yeah, I love that economics um, attachment to what you're doing. You knew you knew what you're that you're going to build things, that you're going to create things, you're going to start a company, even as you started college, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thankful that my parents, you know, they they did very different things. My father was an astrophysicist. My mother is an artist. Uh, so I very much had that left brain, right brain attitude, kind of bouncing around my entire childhood. But one of the things that they instilled in me is uh, above all else, follow your passions. You know, it's not about, you know, for better or for worse, not about, you know, oh, just getting a good paying job and raising a family and building stability. It's, you know, find out what your passion is and pursue it um, at full faith. And so um, I actually didn't, you know, I didn't, did I didn't at first, I went to work for a large government uh, consulting firm right after college. And it was really only on that like first day when I walked in, I realized like, oh wow, okay, well this is definitely not what I meant to do. Um, I, I have a, I have a different path that I want to follow, um, and so I kind of then that kind of re, um, restoked my interest in entrepreneurship and uh, set me on the path I am today. Is that where uh, Skivas Arts comes from? Right at that point in your life. Yeah, you know, um, it, it, I started that company, you know, and it was on and off in terms of how much I focused on it. But yeah, once I uh, once I was working for a government consulting firm for about eighteen months, uh, was working for one of the intelligence agencies, running their uh, one of their um, top secret teams, and uh, then after that left and. Um, first was consulting a little bit, uh, worked for a creative, creative agency, then all of a sudden became CTO of a company that was acquired back in 2009. And then, yeah, went full force into my uh, into building my own consulting firm, which uh, was named Skivas Arts. Um, so yeah, I probably founded it when I was 20 years old or so um, and didn't really focus on it full time until I was around uh, 23, 24 or so. But uh, I, I'm thankful for that experience for sure. Right. Definitely a, a great learning experience, even on that level to, to, to where you are today. Right. So a nice stepping stone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and one of you know, I think honestly, I'm thankful for those early experiences uh, because that's honestly what led me into create contactually. Uh, early, it was early on in my career. You know, as we mentioned, you know, I'm a software developer. You know, Lego guy. You know, you would not have expected for me to be the relationship builder building software to help people build and maintain relationships. And I shouldn't, you know, I, I'm an introvert, but it was really just kind of through those early experiences in my career, I fell upon this realization, this knowledge that 
who I knew and who knew me, those would be the best assets that I had for my entire life. Um, and so I needed to put more effort into that. And honestly, that was that was that core idea behind Contactually. Wow. So, I mean, that's great. Looking back at, at what helped you succeed, you determined this, this, is the, this is the basis for something. That's great. I dig the first line of your bio, right? Because it, it's very, it's, it's cool. If you, anyone that goes to your, your, your blog, it, it's a coder and founder. But when I think of those two um, disciplines, I, I think they're very different skill sets. And so to be kind of good or exceptional at both of those, it's not easy. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I am thankful that uh, you know, I, I kind of you know, it was probably about fifteen years ago or so. I uh, I was can, came across someone who kind of instilled this piece of knowledge in me that you know the one of the keys to success um, is focusing your life around three things, and that's definitely been a lesson that I've carried with me ever since then. So um, nowadays, I. I say I focus my life on three things. You know, one is uh, being the founder and CEO of Contactually. Uh, another is you know, being a software developer and maintaining my technical skills to better serve, uh, serve the world. And uh, third is you know, family. Um, so that actually allows me to focus on just those three things. And um, it's hard to get me interested about anything else, uh, hence my you know, disinterest in the Redskins or even my, my wife's Eagles, uh, you know, Eagles uh, fandom. You know, that's not oh an interest to me. Oh, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> it's been a very interesting week for sure uh, yeah. as we're recording this uh, a few days after the uh, – you know, a few days after their, their Super Bowl win. Right. Um, but that's, kind of, that's allowed me to kind of you know, still maintain that – technical skill set, but then translate that into, all right, well, how do I use these skills in order to solve the real world problems for real estate brokerages and agents? The origin story of Contactually uh, involves and includes a tool that I am super passionate about, and that's Evernote. And you know, looking through some of the things as I was preparing for this conversation, and actually, I'm an Evernote certified consultant, right? I went through their training. Really? Oh, I love Evernote. I mean, it's a it's a passion of mine. I'm, I'm helping a, a, one of our best customers, a real big brokerage out here, kind of use that internally um, for for their team. And so, it's I'm passionate, and I see this that you. You use Evernote in a very specific way. It's it's almost like ideas that that mean something that could turn into something. Those ideas go into Evernote, and you only have a couple hundred notes in there, which you know is 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 weird because most people that get into Evernote have thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of things floating around in there. But talk about that, and, and you even know that you even have that note still. You know the date of the note and and what was written on it. Talk about that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, I probably have, yeah, I probably maybe have, you know, 200 or so, uh, you know, ideas written down in my Evernote, but honestly, I, I'm, I think the best way to use Evernote is pretty simple, right? You know, uh, whenever you have a thought cross your mind, uh, open up, uh, Evernote and record it down. So no, I probably have, you know, tens of thousands of, uh, notes, you know, I have it store my recipes notes from this meeting. I even have Evernote up in me right now with kind of the questions that you emailed in advance and, uh, awesome. some talking points to cover. So no, I use it for absolutely everything. Okay. Um, and I think that's that's probably that big key behavioral change. So yeah, I mean, I think you know the listen. I think all of us you know are blessed with you know some level of creativity and coming across with you know different ideas or 
what if or what if someone solved this problem? And so, uh, yeah, it was back in 2011. Um, I was running my consulting firm and I had built, again, being even being introverted, not being a business development or salesperson. I was working with the likes of Ford and Volkswagen and CBS and the New York Stock Exchange and all these different embassies in foreign countries doing a lot of their really hardcore software development. It was all, again, just kind of by knowing the right people and just having the right relationships. And I knew that this is something, this is a pain point that I had. You know, I, I all this was so important, but for something that was so critical to me, um, I was really bad at it, right? You know, and this is something we all know, right? You meet someone for coffee, then two weeks later, you completely forget about them. Or, you know, you're so focused on uh, whatever's, you know, at the top of Outlook or Gmail, um, you scroll three or four pages back and you realize, you know, there are things you've completely forgotten about that are in there. And so this whole idea of uh, a proactive CRM, you know, a CRM that could actually help us um, go and get the information for us instead of making us enter it um, and proactively helping us um, stay in touch with these relationships instead of making us go and set reminders and set follow-up tasks. You know, what if the CRM could tell me what I need to do? Um, so that was that core idea that I wrote down, uh, I think, May 15th, 2011, according to Evernote. Wow, that's great. I So you, you started working on it uh, not very long after that. And but somewhere in that process of, of what Contactually could do, you, you focused on the real estate industry. How did you uh, how did you arrive there? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, let me preface this by saying I think it is important that people understand. You know, I've every respect for real estate agents and brokers in the entire industry. Um, I'm not a real estate agent. You know, I in fact like didn't know anything about uh, real estate other than kind of you know picking up faxes from the fax machine. Uh, you know, with the latest MLS listings from our real estate agent and passing them off to my mom and dad as they were house hunting. Uh, you know, when we first moved to the DC area, that's pretty much all I knew about it. Right. Um, but for uh, but I, I kind of knew early on um, that we had to focus on a particular industry with Contactually, that we were seeing all these people signing up from all sorts of different um, walks of life and different use cases and backgrounds. But if we were to try and solve all of their needs, um, we would solve none of their needs. And so early on, we saw this very interesting cohort of real estate agents come on board. And I didn't know anything about real estate. So we kind of you know, had a couple of people on our team start to investigate and research a little bit more. And we said, oh, this is really interesting. Okay. Um, there are a lot of real estate agents real estate agents in the US, um, you know, according to, you know, Inman News and other places, um, you know, it's generally two to three generations behind other industries in terms of technology adoption and quality of software. Um, sure, let's, you know, let's try, you know, let's try going out and getting involved in, uh, in real estate a little bit. Um, so bit by bit by bit, you know, the snowball kept building. And now, uh, you know, you go to contact.com and, uh, you know, you see that the majority of our focus is uh, you know, providing tools for uh, for residential real estate. Uh, but you do, as I play in Contactually more and more, there are other industries that have uh, kind of embraced it as well, right? Because I'm seeing some things in the library and uh, that, that are maybe looking at, you know, maybe uh, I saw one for lawyers and, and attorneys. So what is that happening at Contactually? 
Yeah, I mean, so I think this is, uh, I think one of our strengths, I believe, um, is that while real estate is our prime focus and we work with seven of the top 20 brokerages in the country and have the tens of thousands of agents, the truth is that when you dig down to what a real estate agent is trying to do from a sales perspective, um, it's really translated into uh, a real estate agent is successful um, at gaining repeat referral business when they're able to build and maintain personal and authentic relationships with their clients and partners. And that whole notion of building and maintaining personal, authentic relationships, again, that's not, you know, that's not isolated to just residential real estate. You know, a lawyer, you know, has the same thing where they're providing, you know, usually a pretty commoditized service. What sets them apart is their client service, right? Same with an accountant or a financial advisor. So um, yeah, you know, we have uh, tens of thousands of real estate agents on board. We also have 2,000 consultants, 600 commercial real estate brokers, 300 law firms, uh, most of uh, most of the venture capital community in uh, in the Bay Area, they're customers of ours. Um, because you know, if you boil down, you know, it is that realization that for so many industries, your relationships are your most important asset. That that segues beautifully into the question I wanted to ask you. I've I've traveled around the country with with Fidelity. Um, done a few different types of events, you know, whether uh, it was NAR or a lot of state um, association events. And I've asked thousands of realtors around the country if relationships are critical to their success. And it is the only question I've ever asked where it's a unanimous yes. Everyone. And I'll say, come on, not one of you is a burn and churn, call 100 people a day kind of a person. You don't care about a past deal. And they laugh. They all agree. Yet, they, they, they struggle doing things that build relationships. They tend to do things that, uh, in my opinion, can push people away. Um, so, you know, I love what Contactually does. It, it Of all the things I've seen, and boy, I've looked at a lot of them, right? In fact, our company has purchased <laughs> a couple of, you know, bigger CRM kind of operations, right? But the, the, tell me, were you the first that really focused hard on 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 making sure that that the people were engaging at the right time that you were telling them what to do, not them telling the CRM. Yeah. You know, it's a great thing. I, I, uh, I would say I have, um, you know, I, I have enough uh, foresight and uh, at least a little bit of humility that uh, will you know, be honest and say, you know, I, I don't think we're the first. Um, then again, I don't believe it's about um, the initial idea. So the idea behind Contactually, I don't necessarily think is unique. Um, I'm sure you know, even you know, thousands of real estate agents have thought like, hey, what if, you know, before 2011, you know, what if I had a tool that would help me be better at relationships? Uh, what I'm thankful for is that I believe that we are one of the best at both building a great product um, that delivers on that promise. And then, of course, building a, a successful company so far that has allowed us to achieve uh, to achieve and reach these heights. But no, I think, you know, I, I think the the core thing that we think about is, um, you know, you're right. Like, I think everyone knows that relationships are really important, but it kind of starts and stops there, right? And, you know, when you kind of think about how do I break it down, you know, who do I need to talk to? When do I need to talk to them? Um, what do I say? Um, those are really big problems and stumbling blocks. Um, or most people kind of, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, Feb, you know, it's early February, you know, most people start off, you know, the new year saying, oh yeah, this is the year I'm going to be investing in my relationships. And they leave it as a new year's resolution. 
and don't spend enough time thinking about, well, how do I take that intent and that desire and map that out into an actual strategy? And again, contextually, you know, we're we're technology. We are 100% strategy. And so we come from the opposite end saying, hey, we are the absolute best platform that you can use. And we are the absolute best technology that will help provide that strategy to help you achieve that resolution. There are lots of players in this space, especially targeting real estate, right? Um, we know that. Yeah. And a lot of them do a lot of things or they focus on other sorts of production of content and that sort of stuff. You don't go there. You really, it, it, it starts and ends with how do we get the relationship stronger? That's it. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and that's why, I mean, when, when we look at the, you know, quote competitive landscape, you know, I actually considered a lot of the products out there to be friends and compliments, right? You know, CRM uh, is such a broad aspect. You know, there are CRMs that are, you know, purely focused on how do I take the, you know, the lead we just bought via XYZ solution and, you know, pound them with text messages and drip campaigns until they, uh, they respond to my email, right? There are ones that, you know, are focused on, okay, cool. Once we have a contract ready to go, how do I manage the relationship and manage the process of closing this deal, you know, from a transaction management perspective? We are focused on kind of that middle of the funnel where I, where we really believe that most of the opportunities get lost. You know, once you've already had, once you've already made that connection, once that lead has already come in, um, before you know you're signing the deal, and then honestly, after you know, after the you know, after the HUD one is signed, right? right. How do I build and maintain that relationship? Um, you know, a lead may come in off of like let's say a Zillow, um, but they're not going to convert for six to twenty-four months. What do you do in that six to 24 months? And I think that's the missing piece um, where Contactually can really come in and provide the most value. Yeah. I want to ask you a couple of questions about the industry. You, I got to say hi to you at Inman in New York um, just recently. And there were some interesting takes. You know, one of my <laughs> Robert Refkin of Compass, Peter Flint, you know, yep. of, of Trulia back in the day. They really expressed from the stage that there's, I, I'll call it like a doomsday scenario for the big brand brokerages what was your take on what they were discussing yeah you know and, and i'm thankful that you know while there are uh, many people like you know there are there are many let's say kind of you know every year to year you know harbingers of doom right whether it's you know um open door and i buyers or compass or um you know, or Redfin or Zillow, et cetera. You know, they're always these kind of harbingers of doom. I, I, I'm thankful that they're also, I think, more and more, let's call it more moderate voices um, coming out and saying, yes, there will always be disruptors. But, you know, we know that, you know, in this world, um, the only constant is change. And so to be comfortable with that. Um, I actually think, you know, and I, I'm thankful that, you know, I think there are a lot of people there that, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if you've ever read uh, one of Jeff Bezos's uh, annual letters where, you know, when he was asked early on um, what he thinks will change about Amazon, um, he says he thinks about more, he, he thinks more about what won't change. And I think if we were to unpack that, right, in in the real estate industry, yes, there's going to be a lot of change. That's inevitable. And a lot of these companies may fizzle out or they may completely change the market. But when you think about what won't change, um, you develop a number of key insights, right? Like no matter what, this is still the biggest 
transaction and the biggest asset that you know a, a homeowner, a family w- will ever have, right? right. Um, it's still incredibly an incredibly personal, high touch exchange because so much money is at risk, and it's so it's something you know someone will most likely only go through you know half as a half a dozen times at most in their life. You know, so if you kind of take some of those key things about what won't change, you know, you can gain a little bit of comfort and work back and say, all right, well, everything else may change, but you know, what still matters is, you know, my relationship with, you know, this potential buyer or seller. I was talking, a friend of mine is with one of the iBuyers. We'll just leave it at that. And he, yep. he mentioned that he said, look, if you simply stay in touch and take care of your customers, we are no threat. <laughs> There's, they're never going to use us because they're going to use you. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Or, you know, there might be some people, you know, there might be some people that, you know, are just, you know, are going to an iBuyer because they are just trying to, uh, you know, they're just trying to, you know, to unload cash, you know, or unload, you know, unload an asset as quickly as possible. You know, would, you know, would a real estate agent really want to be working with that type of business? Or are they thinking about, you know, where are the areas where I could provide the most value to? Right. Um, you know, the same with, you know, larger brokerages like uh, a compass or Redfin. Yeah, there might be, you know, there might be times where, you know, an agent would choose to work with, let's say, a compass. But, you know, all right, well, h- how does a broker, um, you know, provide so much value that they never think about it? Um, again, I, I, I'm thankful for this level of excitement. Um, I think the problem is there's a little bit too much looking over the shoulder um, and not enough um, looking forward to saying, hey, how do I deliver the best experience possible? If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Absolutely right. Never look over your shoulder. Someone might be catching up. <laughs> Instead, let's keep keep moving forward. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Like imagine, you know, if I imagine if uh, you and I are marathon runners in the Olympics right now, right? You know, I don't think, you know, a coach is, you know, telling the runner, you know, all right, keep looking over your shoulder to see um, how everyone else is pacing and who's coming up behind you. No, you're focused on running as fast as you can at the target. Right. Um, so I think it, we, I think, listen, it's helpful to know and understand the market. Yeah, of course, we want to understand what competitors are doing, but to approach it from a fear or pacing perspective, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that's the best use of time. So Brad Inman is looking uh, to create, it's just recently, he's talked a lot about this, this manifesto for real estate leadership. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, they're even going to go out and do a disruption in the desert. You know, that's kind of a Brad thing. Are you going to that? Yep. Well, Awesome. So, uh, so let me hear your I'm thoughts thinking on, about it. Yeah. Let me hear your thoughts on on what you think, you know, the current state of leadership in the industry is and you know what what what's got to happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's funny, you know, again, I have to uh, I always have to preface this with saying again, you know, I don't come from the real estate industry. Um I'm thankful to now have spent, you know, the 6 years uh that we've uh, been building contactually heavily uh in real estate and you know, that's allowed me to gain some level of perspective. You know, I would say that, you know, it's not, you know, it's definitely exacerbated compared to other industries, but it's not isolated in its uh there's sometimes there's a little bit too much fear of change or fear about how we'll um, handle or combat change. You know, I see this with, you know, talk about, you know, um, 
you know, changes to MLSs or, you know, the protection over data or the fear over, again, you know, uh, a compass or an iBuyer or Redfin. Um, and I think there needs to be a little bit more of embracing of change. And that's actually something, you know, at the recent Inman, I- I'm thankful to, to have really seen come out. You know, you see a lot of the new brass at a lot of these larger brokerages, you know, like, for example, within the Realogy world um, and independent brokerages um, singing a very different tune about their, you know, their rejection of the status quo. Whereas in the past two to three years, um, you would see a little bit more kind of no, we're just going to kind of maintain course. Um, and I think that's that's something that we're that we're good. I mean, think of again, if we have to embrace the only constant is change, um, it's really making sure that this next generation of leadership, and I'm thankful, I guess, to be part of this, um, is thinking a lot more about you know what's going to change rather than uh, you know how do we keep things the way that it was yesterday. Right, I completely agree. There was a, a definite sense at Inman, one I haven't felt before at, at any of the other ones I've attended. You know, it felt like there were definitely two sides. There were the the, the eye buyers and the, like you said, the compasses and redfins. And some of those leaders were talking about big brokerages are in big trouble. But but then to have these other people come in and say, "Oh, we understand there's challenges. We're going to move forward with these challenges and we're going to do things differently." Um, that's the first time, as you just said, I, I felt that as well. Um, Absolutely, but there were still. Uh, I was still sitting. Uh, you know, I was at a uh, CEO Connect, which is kind of a smaller breakoff group uh, for uh, C- for about 150 CEOs. And uh, I'm not going to name it, but there was a CEO of a pretty big real estate company that you know is should be mainstay of the industry. Um, and they said they specifically decided that they were going to stay the course and you know just commit to what they have always done. And I was sitting there going, all right, well, let's, you know, I, I'm sure Blockbuster said that at some point too. Uh, what, what happened to that? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, everyone else in the room was saying, all right, well, how are things going to be different in three years and how we do that? And th- that's something I, I'm thankful that, you know, we make sure we take back to our company, right? Um, we, uh, as we partner with uh, bigger and bigger brokerages and more and more agents, um, it's, that gives me that, you know, that motivation to say, all right, it's okay if we completely change our interface or how we work or the, the level of value we provide because our brokers are changing too. So to make sure that we change along with them is really important for us. Right. Right. So yeah, I, I've had you here over the half hour I asked of you. I, I can't thank you enough, but I have to give you the final question that I've given every guest. Uh, and, and that is, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started, just getting started in the business, what would it be? Uh, yeah, I mean, mine's pretty easy. It would be, uh, you know, invest in your relationships, right? You know, it's thinking, it's taking a long-term view and thinking about not just, you know, how do you put food on the table um, two months from now, but how do you put food on the table three years from now? Um, and as we know, it's uh, to quote our uh, dear friend Sean, Sean Carpenter: "It's uh, building relationships, solving problems, and having fun." He'll love to hear that. That's great, Svi. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you if they have some questions? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can just uh, do a quick Google search for Contactually. That's uh, contact and actually if they have a baby, uh, Contactually. Um, and then uh, I'm online, Zviband, Z-V-I-B-A-N-D. And uh, for better or for worse, you know, my parents uh, 
uh, bless me with a name that uh, very few people can pronounce, um, but at least it's unique enough that uh, there's only one V-Band in the world. Was I close on my pronunciation today? No, you were spot on. Oh, um, you, you've, you, you've gotten your practice. You know, most most uh, relationships uh, I've had in my life usually begin with. Uh, so, how do I say your name? Um, so no, we we're off to a great start, Bill. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough. Uh, really, I think you're doing great things in the industry. Keep it up. It's be fun to watch where you head uh, next, and I hope to see you at another conference real soon. Thank you for your time, and uh, thank you uh, to your listeners who have made it this far. Uh, I hope they found it valuable in some way.